Uh, growing up as the youngest of three brothers can be uh, a, turf, a tough road. Uh, Nate, our, our youngest son, has, um, has had to fend for himself his whole life, right? Being, being the, the, third, the third will. Uh, and in many ways, he's the toughest of my sons, and he's, he's definitely the rowdiest of, of, of my sons. Um, uh, but, but he has a little bit of a problem. Um, bearing a false witness against his brothers and blame shifting comes quite naturally. Uh, this is how things go down at our house, and, and these, are, these are real examples I will say to the boys who dumped out every single basket of toys in the playroom. Nate, the culprit, will say, Wix did it. How did my grandfather's hat end up in the toilet? Wix did it. Who sprayed the entire bottle, this brand new bottle of sunscreen, who who emptied it out in one day? Naturally, Wix did it. Um... Who ripped down the curtain rods from the bedrooms upstairs? Nate replies, Wix did it. Now to be fair, and before my older sons who are here listening, their prides get too puffed up, uh, they help with the destruction. Nate had some help. And, uh, and the others do their share blame shifting as well. And the reality is, all of us have been there, right? All of us have been there. We recognize the convenience uh, of a lie. We understand that sometimes um, the truth just isn't all that convenient. We understand that for reasons that seem sensical to us, uh, the lie can be far more attractive than the truth. We learned very early to lie. I didn't have to teach my sons how to lie. No one had to teach me how to lie. We lie to others and we lie to ourselves. We become accustomed to lying and hearing lies that we expect lies will be told to us. We know that some persons will, are more likely to tell a lie rather than the truth, even when the truth may serve them better. So we attempt to see lies, but we're often deceived. We assume lies and we consume lies. We even enjoy the lies that are addressed to us, telling us that if we just, we just buy this product, our life will be so much better, it'll be so much happier. Um, if we just receive this therapy, then, then we will be made whole. Um, And we negotiate lies, and we sometimes are entertained by lies. But lies kill. Lies destroy, dilute, seduce. And along comes this commandment. In this case, the ninth commandment, the commandment that says, very simply, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbors. Just a few words, and it seems to us at face value to make perfect sense. And we're told from the cradle that this means no lies. But this can be confusing for children. Because we oftentimes use euphemisms 
for lies, like don't tell stories. Don't tell stories. You'll get in trouble if you tell stories. But the problem is, we, we grow up hearing stories, right? I, I never, I think, I think about Dr. Seuss. I, I didn't really believe that dogs could really express their, their disinterest or their distaste in, a, in, in the particular hat that, that one could wear. And yet, eventually, you begin to understand what it means for a story to be an ugly lie. To be a false witness against one's neighbor, against one's God. You shall not bear a false witness against your neighbor. Calvin said, just as the previous commandment, talking about the eighth commandment, ties the tongue, or ties the hands, this one ties the tongue. The Ten Commandments were the law that was given to the people by their creator. Not just to all the peoples of the earth, but specifically the con- in, in context to the covenant people of Israel. And this is the law that was... Um, written on, by God on their hearts. This is the law that was large throughout creation, but, it's, but in its specific form, these ten words given as a gift to the covenant people of Israel, they are told here, as our series comes to a close next week, that one of the chief concerns of a holy God is that His people would not bear false witness against one another. It ends up in the list of ten. This commandment and prohibition appears in the series of ten words. A life can be forfeited with a lie. A reputation can be destroyed with a lie. The specific first reference of this text is to a court of law. How the, the court process is lived out within the, the covenant people of Israel. For, for every single day, there were judgments being made in the courts. Every single day, testimony was being given in this, the, the judicatory process. In an honor culture where reputation is everything and where life and death could, it could hang in the balance, a false witness could kill. A false witness could destroy. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The law of Israel is included, uh, the law of Israel included a very detailed system for, for how evidence could be brought against someone. Especially someone accused of a very serious crime. And one of the prohibitions that's most often repeated in the Old Testament is uh, this prohibition against bearing a false witness against one's neighbor. In an honor culture where reputation is everything and, and where a slanderous accusation can destroy not just the man or the woman in their particular generation, but for generations to come. One incident, a false witness or a misrepresentation. These are matters of life. These are matters of life and death. These are matters of great concern in the Scriptures. Just think about how many texts in the Scriptures that deal with 
a false witness and deal with the difference between a lie and the truth. In both Testaments, Zechariah, beginning first in Zechariah verse eight, or chapter 8, verse 16, These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. 3 John 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Psalm 15, 2, He who walks blamelessly, and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Leviticus 19.15 You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Proverbs 14 verse 5 A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness, witnesses, a false witness breathes out lies. A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. The opposition, the contrast, that lies kill and the truth delivers souls. 2 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verse 17 17 and 18. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has been yes and no. Paul says very clearly here that we owe to one another a clear, unvarnished answer. Our yes is to be yes, our no is to be no, our yes is never to be confused with a no. We are never to say yes and a no in order to evade responsibility. We are to bear not to bear false witness. We are more specifically not to lie. We are to tell the truth. We are to consider the reputation of our neighbor to be such an importance to us that we would not lie about her. We would not lie about him. We would not bear a false witness. First of all, in the court of law, if we are drawn into litigation, if we are drawn into the judicial process, We are to bear a true witness. But certainly, it it extends beyond the courtroom. And as the commandment is repeated, especially in the Old Testament, it is filled out with meaning. You can find it cited not only in the reputation of, uh, in the repetition of the law, the Deuteronomos, the fifth book of the scriptures. But throughout the Bible, you you will see references. For instance, the prophet Hosea will cite this very commandment. Will will indict Israel for breaking this commandment. It is extended beyond the the law court to the responsibility for one another to, to tell the truth. Not just when we promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But the truth... Even in our casual conversations, in our social interactions, 
in our emails, text messages. The Bible treats truth-telling as a deadly, serious matter. A matter of life and death and a matter of moral obligation, all rooted in the fact that God, the God who created us, God who establishes the covenant with His people of Israel, bound to redeem His people through the blood of His Son, He is the God of all truth. He Himself is truth. All that he does, all that he says, all that he reveals, the acts he performs are acts. The words, the deeds, they're all acts of truth. Everything about God is an expression of absolute, undiluted truth. In him, there is no lies. He hates lies. His justice and His righteousness are established in absolute truth. Those who would be His followers must be people of truth. All those who are His creatures are obligated to truth. Jesus Christ Himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. We're told in the New Testament that the church, the, the people of God, are to be the people of truth. And conversely, we are all told that Satan is the father of lies. We're told that that we are to have within ourselves as Christians, as believers, the spirit of truth. But we're warned that there are deceiving spirits among us. See, the entire biblical worldview takes with extreme urgency... And seriousness, the fact that the difference between the true and the false, the true statement and the lie is infinite. They're worlds apart. Just like the holiness of God and the, and the human sinfulness is infinitely separated, we should see the difference between the lie and the truth as pointing to the ugliness, the deadliness of sin. How far we fall short of the glory of God. We say we worship and follow God, and yet we lie. Truth and lies. How important is it to tell the truth? Ultimately, it's important because it's all about God. It is about God's own character. It's if God's people, both the covenant people of Israel and the new covenant people of the church, if we do not mirror Mirror, we do not follow or obey or reflect God's own concern for the difference between truth and lies, then we sin. We create a scandal to the gospel. Ultimately, it is about our worship of God. It is about our following of Jesus, whether or not we love the truth and hate the lie. It is, first of all, about God. But secondly, it's, it's about our fellow human creatures. We owe the truth to every single fellow human being made in the image of God. But in a fallen world, lies seem to rule. And there are big lies and small lies. There are crude lies and sophisticated lies. And there are slick lies and awkward lies. 
There are long lies and short lies and quiet lies and loud lies. We've grown accustomed to this. We expect that the powers that be, humanly speaking, will, will often lie to us. As a matter of fact, we even depend upon the fact that they will lie to us and will lie to others. In a time of war, we expect the military to deceive. In a fallen world, lies seem to reign. Somebody came to me after the first service, talked about a book Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. He was a pastor, spy, uh, theologian uh, and, and from Germany during the height of World War II. And, and so he talks about weighing the tension of lying in the midst of the horrific things that were happening in the Nazi regime and everything that was going on there and sort of the way he wrestled with being a spy and a theologian and a pastor all at the same time. But there are great lies, great huge lies of ideology. And then there are little intimate lies in relationships. There are some who believe the truth doesn't matter anymore because the truth doesn't exist. I mean, the very distinction between a truth and a lie assumes a worldview that has, uh, that has been forfeited by, by many, at least in some sectors of their lives, by this postmodern society. We're being told repeatedly that there is no such thing as absolute truth, that all truth is socially constructed to serve our interests. We call them true because if we can establish them as true, then we can make them as a binding authority on others. They argue truth to be a social construct for the oppression and manipulation of others. This is one of the hallmarks of postmodernism. You know, found in figures such as Richard uh, Rohde, uh, who, who condenses this very... Um, postmodern concept down to its essence when he says truth is made not found truth is made a social construction we're creating the, the truth as we go along it's, it's not really true it's just what we call true depending on your culture and tradition there are different truths for different people different truths for, for different places Different truths for, for different purposes and manipulations. And there are distinctions, there's no distinction, they would argue, between truth and lies. Because as we have grown up to maturity in this brave new postmodern world to actually believe that there is truth. We've, we've grown up from that. We've evolved beyond that. In his essay entitled, On Truth and Lies in a Non-Moral Sense. Just think about that title for a second. Truth and Lies in a Non-Moral Sense. Without morality, doesn't morality govern truth and lie? Doesn't it at least define what truth and lies are? But Frederick Nietzsche, old-time um, postmodernist, you could say, he writes this. What then is truth? A movable host of metaphors, metonymies, and anthropomorphisms. In short, a sum of human relations 
which has been poetically and rhetorically intensified, transferred and embellished, and which are uh, which after long you should seem to a people to be fixed, canonical, and binding. Truths are illusions, which we have forgotten are illusions. They are metaphors that have been drained of sensuous force. Coins, which have lost their embossing and are now considered as metal and as no longer as coins. Now, I don't know what you heard with these words, but herein lies the fall of an entire civilization. It was the collapse of any shared meaning, the the denial of any responsibility of truth-telling whatsoever to one another. This is the denial that truth even exists. It's, It's nihilism. He says in that paper, truth is a sum of human relations which has been poetically and rhetorically intensified, transferred, and embellished, in which after long you should seem to be, seem to a people to be fixed, canonical. Let's be real clear about this. If this is true, we can close up shop right now. There's no reason to be here. If there is no truth, there are no lies. If there is no truth, there is no God. If there is no lie, then there is no sin. And if there is no sin, there is no need of the gospel. All of this is a lie. And the reality is, postmodernism ultimately collapses in on itself. That's why there there are no postmodernists at 33,000 feet. They don't want gravity and aerodynamics to be socially constructed. Nobody wants a postmodern heart surgeon. Nobody wants a postmodern banker. You want two plus two equals four when it's your dollars. But we live in a culture that was influenced by the likes of Immanuel Kant, who even questioned the reality that, that could we even perceive truth? If it were a reality. We live in an age where people actually believe they can improve upon the truth. We also live in a culture that believes it's totally normal and healthy to lie. One, one article that I read, one magazine article that I saw was cited. One commentator used it actually. Um, he talks about in normal childhood development, it's actually a good thing that children lie. It's part of discovering the self. And I will tell you, as the father of many sons, I see lots of little selves developing. We know, however, that as Christians, we are charged to be people of the truth. We have a unique God-assigned responsibility to speak that which is true and to speak for the truth. It's not merely enough to simply speak the truth, but we must be willing to speak up for the truth. It's a fascinating responsibility in this postmodern age. That it's a mark of the Christian that he, that she, be truthful. It's the mark of the true Christian to be established 
in the truth. God's people, are, God's people in little congregations are to be little platoons of truth and little platoons of truthfulness. Little islands and vast seas of lies. God's people are to be communities of truth. The people of truth. And there is an interlogic to the Ten Commandments that is often missed. <clears throat> and one of the ways we, we miss this is by simply citing the Ten Commandments. As this is the first, this is the second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, right? Then we're done. But this, but, but there's an interlogic to the ten words that we miss to our peril. There is a clear link between the third commandment and the ninth commandment. Let us remind ourselves what the third commandment says. Beginning in verse 3 of Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In the very beginning, God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who brought you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, out of logic, it goes from it goes like this, right? From the first to the second to the third. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord said, you shall not bear false witness against me. To bear false witness against me is not only to break the third commandment, but is also to break the second commandment, which is to create an idol. An abstraction of our own invention to speak wrongly about me is effectively making an idol. An attempt to make me in your own image. But in breaking the third commandment, you break the second commandment. And in breaking the second commandment, you break the first commandment. By lying about God, we create an idol. By making an idol, we become idolaters. Violating the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. So false witness is taken very seriously by God about himself. Do not tell lies about me, we're commanded. Do not take my name in vain. The worst possible lie that we can possibly tell is a lie about God. The worst possible lie that we can possibly tell is a lie about God. Long before we get a concern about truthfulness for human creatures, God directs us to the concern of our truthfulness about himself. The reputation for which we should be most concerned is the reputation of God himself. You see, theology is speech. Doctrine is speech. The danger is, 
the danger of getting theology wrong um, is not merely to come up short on a systematic theology pop quiz for seminary students. It is to bear false witness about God. And by the way, if you say anything about God, you're saying something doctrinal. It is to lie about God. It is to create an idol in replace of the one true living God. It is to violate the first, second, and third commandment. Martin Luther said, The chief violators of the ninth commandment were heretics and false prophets and empty preachers. Now I wonder how many preachers, as they prepare to preach, are concerned about breaking the ninth commandment, about bearing a false witness to God. And we see this, we see this in the scriptures, Jeremiah 14, 14. The Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I do not send them, nor did I command them to speak to them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit their own minds. Then in Isaiah 44, verse 20, this, this great chapter on idolatry, the man who dilutes himself, he, remember he cuts down a tree and he uses half of it to, 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 you know, to build a fire, you know, do what you do with trees, right? But he takes the other half of the tree and he makes for himself an idol. And you're, listen to what he says. Verse 44, uh, verse 20, chapter 44. He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself to, or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? You see, theology is not just about orthodoxy or heterodoxy. It's not just about right or wrong. It's not just about accuracy or inaccuracy. It's about truth and lies. Over in Romans 1, it's interesting that we see the creation rejecting the truth of God and replacing it with a lie. Heresy is is replaced by the only appropriate word, a lie. And you don't have to go very far in the culture to see this being done. Just turn on the television. Look at social media. Scores and scores of people bearing a false witness about God. Don't worry. God just wants you to be happy. No worries. God just wants you to be well. God just wants you to be true to yourself. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Vain theology. Theology that would revise God from orthodoxy and thus create a heterodoxy. Theology that lies rather than tell the truth. Perhaps theology, perhaps theology is the clearest example of a lie that leads to death. And the danger of it is made apparent to us. We dare not bear a false witness about God. And this should remind us of our continual need of the Scriptures. 
how else are we going to speak the truth about God? We are dependent on His truthful revelation about Himself. If we, are, if we are to ever depart from this truthful revelation, either by heresy or by vain imagination, we transform the truth into a lie about God, we must, listen, we, we must trust the Scriptures. And the reality is, if we don't have a firm grasp on the trustworthiness of Scriptures, then we will always be enslaved to what sounds right or what the culture is telling us is right. We will trade the truth, the truths of God for lies. So our responsibility to speak truth is ultimately about God. But it's also our responsibility to speak truth as we care for our neighbor. We have to ask, who's our neighbor? The scriptures are clear. I mean, it's everybody. It's everybody you're, you're in contact with. It's everybody around you. It's, it's not just your neighbor. It's your brothers, your sisters. I mean, it's everyone. Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. So not only are the third and ninth commandment conjoined, but also the great commandment from our Lord Jesus Christ who said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And this, all the law and the prophets depend, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love of God and love of neighbor combined together with in one commandment, Love of God and love of neighbor combine in telling the truth rather than bearing a false witness. So the key to understanding this is the fact that our neighbor is God's creature. This applies to all creatures made in the image of God. Now, we should never act as though this is always an easy matter. Uh, in 1803... The long-run Baptist church in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, split. They had a church fight. They were having a, it was over a theological debate. And it was over lying. The question was, if there were to come an Indian raiding party, were to, or they were to come along and they were to, were to demand to know where your children, where you're hiding the children of the Indian uh, the native Indians in the area, are you required to tell them the truth or are you allowed to tell them the lie? And the lie it led to the split of this church uh, within the congregation and they split into what they called themselves as the lying Baptist and the non-lying Baptist. I haven't found too many honest Baptists in my days. Uh, but this is an old question, right? What about the Hebrew midwives? Or Rahab, the harlot, who was praised for her faithfulness and um, her belief and trust in, in the Lord God. There is, there is deception in the Bible. 
God actually commands deception in some instances. I mean, think about Joshua chapter 8, verse 1, and 2 Samuel chapter 5, 22 and following. In both those passages where God commands Israel in its military operations to deceive using deception. You can lie in more than one way. As Charles Hodge said, you can leave your light on in your home as if you are there so that no robber will enter. Charles Hodge, by the way, said that that is an advisable lie. How do we put all this together? Well, there's no easy answer to that. We must recognize that there are times when we will face excruciating situations. When an elderly man who is in his last days, do you tell him how awful his predicament is? Does a doctor always owe the patient the absolute truth? No hope? Or do family members always owe the unfiltered truth to one another in that situation? When you're talking to small children about their grandfather or great-grandfather, their parents even? When an elderly woman looks and says to the one visiting her, I have a question for you. Am I beautiful anymore? How are you going to answer? That's actually easier than it sounds. The answer is always yes. A fellow human made in the image of God. Though we find ourselves, we may find ourselves in repeatedly in situations in which sometimes it appears that the lie will serve better than the truth. We, we know this. God will judge the lie. We do know this, that God will judge the lie. And we will be judged for our lies. We know this, that lies hurt, lies kill, they, they deceive, they destroy. We know this. We owe the truth of God to we, we owe the truth to God. And because of this, we owe the truth to each other. Jesus says in John 8, 3, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's admit, the only reason we know the difference between the truth and the lie is because we know the one true and living God. Let's admit, the only reason we know we are to tell the truth is because we have received the truth. And let's admit that the only reason we know the truth and received the truth is because the Holy Spirit opened our eyes to receive the truth. Alone, we wouldn't just not receive the truth. We wouldn't even see it. But by God's grace, we have seen the truth. We have known the one who came as the way and the truth in the life, the one who comes in grace and truth, here lies our only hope for truth-telling and a reason to be compelled to truth-telling through the power of the gospel. 
You see, in biblical counseling, we oftentimes talk about what the scriptures do and uh, what discipleship does to, in a person's life and how God works through the process of sanctification. Sometimes we ask questions like last week uh, we talked about when is, it, when is a thief no longer a thief. It's not when he stops stealing, but rather when he begins to give. So we ask the question, when is a liar no longer a liar? Is it simply when he stops lying? On the contrary, it's, it's actually when he begins to speak truth. That's when he stops being a liar. And the reality is, only by the power of the gospel, the one truth-teller that came and lived a perfect life in our place and died because of the deception and the lies that were told about him, he stands in our place as our substitute. The wrath of God poured out on him. Through believing in the Son, repenting of our sin, that's the only way we'll find, one, the freedom and justification of our sins, from our sins, but also the power, the power to tell the truth. And the thing that will empower us to tell the truth the gospel is our only hope. It's the only thing that can bring that kind of change to people like me. People like you. People like us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you. And we thank you for... We thank you for Jesus Christ. The perfect truth teller. The sinless one who stood in our place. Who bore the, the sin, our sin, our shame. Who took the just penalty for our, for our sin. By dying on the cross for us. God, I pray that you would use the gospel. One, to transform lives. To bring from... Bring, to bring us from death to life, but also to give us power, to give us a motivation and the ability to, to be people of truth. God, help us to, to rely and to trust in your word as true so we can let it be what governs our morality to know the difference between truth and lies. God, may the things we say be, be true about you. Guard us from speaking untrue things about you because they just feel right to us. God, we need your help. We need your spirit. We need your gospel. We need your word, your word that is true. God, empower us to live today and the rest of the days of our life the truth. And we ask all that in Christ's name. Amen.